Welcome to She Brigade, the podcast. I'm your host, Belun Klemsemeche. On this podcast, we bring you amazing trailblazing women to come and share their life and career journeys with you. From entrepreneurs to nine to fivers, join us as each guest takes you through all of the highs and all of the lows of their journeys that have led them to being who they are today. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of She Brigade. If you're new here, welcome, and I hope you return for more. And if you're a returning brigader, welcome back and thank you for always showing love. So, today's guest is Titlanyo Likalake. Titi is the Regional Marketing Program Lead on Facebook's Global Business Marketing Team. She was born in Botswana, moved to South Africa for 10 years, and has now been based in Ireland at Facebook's headquarters for the last six years. She is the co-founder of the African Professional Network of Ireland, also known as APNI, as well as the co-founder of the Ireland chapter of Black at Facebook. She also recently started her own podcast, Career Queens Podcast, where she shares career conversations with millennial women about the strategies and tactics that they've employed to progress their own careers. Keep listening to hear all about Teti's journey. Let's dive in. Hey, Teti, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bilo. Thank you so much for having me. It's my first time being a guest on a podcast. So interesting. Very interesting experience. Yeah, you're you, you probably like now used to being on the other side <laughs> of yeah. the interview. Yeah. <laughs> and like I just recently started a podcast, so haven't been doing this for nearly as long as you have. But yeah, so far it's been so much fun. And I guess I get to get to see how the guest feels. How um, your guests feel. Yeah, yeah. it's a learning experience <laughs> for sure. Awesome. Okay, so on the podcast, on this podcast, you like to start all the way from the beginning. So take us all the way back to younger you, grow what it was like growing up, um, your upbringing, your schooling life as well. Mm. Okay, well, I was born and raised in Khaburone, Botswana, um, and I am a middle child. <laughs> so I have an older sister, younger brother. And I guess when I think about like how that's shaped me, uh, my sister definitely always kind of set the standard for us. I'm very lucky to have a sister as like, you know, as driven and as intelligent as she is. So just for context, for example, right now she's doing her PhD at MIT and she's always just, oh, wow. been, yeah, she's like always been a like big influence for me in terms of my academics. Um, but even in terms of like, you know, that typical mi middle child syndrome where you want to stand out and you want to make a place for yourself and you don't want to be like the other one, like your younger sibling or your older sibling. So I yeah. think that kind of shaped me in a way in terms of like just my journey of like self-awareness. Um, and also to some degree, I guess, I you know, I, I used to be very competitive. <laughs> So it, it's, it's about like try as much as possible to 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 be where she was. So, um, yeah, like she um, was a big influence in my life. And then I have my younger brother and we were very close. Uh, he's two years younger than me. So in terms of like my childhood, like we were just used to play with our neighbors. It was a, it was a really, really great upbringing. I always think about like how. You know, initially I used to take that for granted, just being surrounded by such a loving family 
um it was just amazing like every day after school we'd go to my grandfather's house you know because it was just like um, a few meters away from where our school was so that in itself was a blessing and um then when I was like 13 my mom decided to do a PhD so she was in her 40s and again my mom is a big influence on me even though she wouldn't call herself a feminist she's probably the first feminist I met you know, she's also, you know, like my sister, PhD life. She's currently a lecturer. But at the time, she was trying to kind of pivot her career. So she used to work um, in the United Nations Development Program, so UNDP. Wow. And then she wanted to kind of pivot into lecturing and academia. So she decided to go to Pretoria to do a PhD. And she basically said to my siblings and I, um, you know, you can decide, do you want to stay here with your dad or do you want to come to Pretoria? Um, so that was a big, uh, pivotal moment for me. In the end, I decided to go. I literally wrote a pros and cons list. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I did. It wasn't that easy making that decision. If, mm. uh, you know, it's kind of like choosing between two parents and, well, I, well, actually, it wasn't ultimately a decision about which parent to go with, but it was more of what did I want to gain out of the experience. I think one of the things, as I said, when I was younger, I used to compare myself to my sister a lot, and I felt to some degree in her shadow, and I felt like if I moved to another school, I won't be in her shadow. So that was one of the things on my pros list, for example. Mm. Um and then the other thing, I think the last thing that was on my pros list that was ultimately the the deciding factor was that at my old school in Botswana, there was like this bully, this girl who used to bully me all the time. And I was like, if I go to South Africa, I don't have to deal with this chick anymore. <laughs> so yeah, that's a, that's a big pro. <laughs> that's a big pro. I got out like, you know, yeah. away from her. Um, so yeah, then I moved to South Africa when I was 13 and I went to a girl's school. Uh, St. Mary's Diocesan School for Girls. Um, and it was, yeah, definitely another, you know, period of my life that shaped who I was as a person. Um, and also in terms of, I guess, not necessarily because of the school, but it was a period where um, I'm, I'm a, like very much a religious person. So well, not religious, but I have a like believe in like you have a strong relationship with God so that period of my life also shaped me and like really started to build foundations uh to to build on um so yeah and it was like in my first year of high school grade eight uh I decided that hey I really want to go into the advertising world like our music teacher had uh, given us an assignment where we had to come up with adverts and you had to incorporate music to set the tone. Mm. Yeah, and it was such an, a like a fun activity, and I was like, this is the perfect thing for me. Um, I really like creative things, like I love art, I love graphic design. I, I was always very interested in creativity in general, but particularly the visual side, and I also really really like business. I'm always being very intrigued by you know entrepreneurial stories and just like you know books about business. Um, I think mainly because like, especially on my dad's side, like they had, there was quite a strong influence when it came to business. So I just felt like this was a good way to kind of marry the two passions together. And um, that's how I decided like what subjects I chose. So I ended up, you know, choosing like very business oriented subjects when I got to grade 10. Um, and it also allowed me to justify to my parents why I was choosing art. <laughs> you know, I loved art. Ah. 
yeah yeah uh you know it's of course my dad was just like are you sure you want to do art you know this typical <laughs> african parent is like why yeah. did you do this instead um but yeah like i i think that one of the things that's definitely shaped me is just being very kind of aware of what I'm interested in and to the point sometimes of obsession, <laughs> you know, when I'm into something, I really nerd out on it. So I was really into art. Um, I was really into business and that's what I chose to pursue. And ultimately the, that's what led me to University of Cape Town where I studied marketing. Um, yeah, I don't know if, if you want to stop me there, I could go on for <laughs> my whole life story. No. Okay. Wow. Wow. No, that's, that's also fascinating. And I love that um, you mentioned the awareness because I mean, in on the podcast, I always ask like, what did you want to be and why? Mm. And you've already touched on that. And it's interesting to hear you say that, you know, when you want something, you like want it and you go for it and you go all out for it. Mm. Um. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your varsity journey then. Yeah, so as I said, like I went to UCT, like I actually wanted to go to, you know, Vega or AAA, like the advertising schools. Yeah. But like, my parents did kind of like convince me that it's better to keep my options open. And the way to do that is to pursue um, a broader business degree. So that's ultimately what led me to UCT. Um, and, you know, the, I'd say the first year was rocky. I think it is for a lot of people when you go from high school to university. <laughs> it's like, first of all, and, you know, coming from a girl's school, now you're no longer in a girl's school. Everybody kind of goes boy crazy. Like, not that I went Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's okay if you world. did. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole new world. And it's like yeah. people from all walks of life and was just really fascinating for me um being there it was like I loved going to university in Cape Town in general I think it's definitely in terms of visual beauty like one of the most like amazing cities I've ever been to it's definitely one of my top three um there was just so much to do you know it's like a it's not like a city where you you run out of things to do there's all these beaches and each beach has its own character there's like you know like nearby towns um I mean of course the one big issue with Cape Town is like the lack of diversity and integration <laughs> but like in general I really 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 loved um living and, and studying in Cape Town and while I was at UCT I think one of the things that really um influenced me is I started to really get involved with some of the societies on campus and in particular, one called the Investment Society. So I joined um, as a marketing director. Well, actually, initially, I joined on a project that they had like for um, entrepreneurship. Uh, so like basically putting together an entrepreneurship conference for students. And then I eventually joined the team as the marketing director. I then also um, co-founded the UCT Marketing Association. So oh. like, yeah, so it was um, really a great experience. And especially, you know, the first year, that that was the year that I was actually on it because it was m during my final year. Um, so, you know, using my experience from working on InvestSoc to bring on the first sponsors that we had um, and also to like project manage the the different various events and, and uh, initiatives that we had. So one of them being a conference for marketing students uh, from UCT, 
um, UWC, uh, Stellenbosch, and I think they might have been another university, but basically in the Western Cape. And yeah, that was a great experience. And I think that's just something that I've continued to do even now in my professional life, um, starting organizations. So like within the company that I work for, not to jump too fast forward, but like, <laughs> yes. you know, yeah, like I started uh, an employee resource group at Facebook called Black at Facebook Ireland. And then also outside of work, um, co-founded uh, uh, an organization called the African Professional Network of Ireland, which is all about bringing together African professionals living in this country and especially, you know, like younger ones who and, and, and a lot of whom are expats. So that's something that started off when I was in university. And what I realized from it is that it just it teaches you so much. You can't get everything from your studies. You can't, you know, gain or like all the knowledge and experiences that you want to just from studying or just from focusing on your core job. And I think that always being involved with something it allows me to stretch in ways that I wouldn't have otherwise, whether it's like things like leading or speaking publicly or, you know, learning new skills like Photoshop using uh, Premiere Pro or, you know, just different programs. Mm-hmm. Um, that has always allowed, and I think in general, it just allows you to stretch your creativity, which then makes you more productive in whatever your core role is. And I that all started with UCT. So another thing I learned while I was at UCT is you really need to be open um, to different opportunities. So as I said, when I was in high school, I really, really wanted to work in advertising. And, you know, I think that it's good to have an idea of like a strong idea of what you want. And especially when it's based off of your own strengths and the things that you're interested in. But, you know, there's so many options that you didn't even realize were an option. Like, you know, um, that, that's what I found in my in my journey. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in my final years, a, a re, another pivotal moment for me was um, this day when I was just sitting in a business to business marketing lecture. And, you know, instead of a, a new topic, the, the lecture actually like, introduced these two executives from a company called Panori Car. Um, and they were like uh, there to promote a student marketing competition. And it the basically what you had to do is like get into teams of three and come up with a digitally disruptive uh, campaign for absolute vodka. And the prize was that you'd get a job if you won in South Africa and then went on to win in Paris, you'd get a job at one of the companies. Oh. Uh, yeah. Brand companies. So I was really excited by the idea. And especially because, you know, it was a brief, you know, you have to come up with a digitally disruptive, creative idea for an iconic brand, like absolute. But the thing is the prize was like, you would work, you know, for, for the, the client, as opposed to in the agency world, you know, and I'd done all my internships in agencies like Young and Ruby Cam, for example. And that's where I'd hoped to go when I was graduating, when I graduated. But um, then this opportunity came up and then I was like, you know, faced with the decisions. I ultimately, you know, this was a good opportunity for me to work abroad and, and also just to, yeah, like still work in marketing, but like in a different side of it, you know. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, I ended up entering that competition with two of my friends, uh, one of them who was studying computer science, one of them who was studying finance. And um, and the reason being that I just figured that you know, if we had a diverse team, so not all people in marketing, we could come up with creative ideas, um, more creative ideas. I do believe like diversity res- results in more creativity. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so we we won in South Africa and then we, yeah, like, um, like long story short, we, we won in South Africa. We flew to Paris where we competed with teams from like Greece, Italy, Sweden, etc. And we actually ended up tying in first place with the team from Russia. And wow. as, yes. And then as a result, you know, I got um, offered, you know, a job contract with um, Jameson in Dublin. And that's ultimately how I ended up moving to Dublin and working for Jameson instead of, you know, going into advertising. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. So even though my plan didn't, you know, pan out the way that I thought it was, it actually ended up being better for me. Um, And like, you know, in retrospect, um, I haven't ever worked in advertising, but I'm still very happy with my career. And I think I've just been open to possibilities since then. So another, sorry, did you want to say something? No. So it's interesting that you say that you've actually never worked in, in, in advertising. So what did you go do at, at Jameson? Yeah. So when I joined Jameson, I worked on the international marketing team. So initially, like when I first joined, they did restructure the team later on. But initially I was working um, as a strategist for for the Africa, uh, for the Africa region. Um, and so basically it was like, so the way that the t- company is, is, is set up is they have the brand companies where they pretty much come up with the brand strategy that can then be implemented by market companies. So we have Puerto Rico, South Africa. They're the ones who actually like execute um, and also strategize, but like on a more local level. So when I was in that role, like, you know, I would do things like market reports and I would do things like, you know, give my input into how I think this would be, like how I th- think it would land in South Africa, Kenya, Nigeria. Those were always the kind of like the, the three main markets. Also did a like a research project um, on, you know, customers in Nigeria. Um, so it was, yeah, it was all about brand strategy. Um, that's what I focused on. And then later when we restructured, um, I was on a team that focused on advocacy. So basically amplifying the passion of people who are big Jameson fans um, for instance, they do this big annual event. I think it's still annual. Um, at the time it was called the bartender's ball. And then I think it became the bartender's homecoming. I don't know what it is now, but basically like over 200 bartenders from all over the world come to Ireland and we like show them the, we show them the Jameson experience when I say we ah, I mean, back then. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it was a great experience and it was a lot of fun. You can imagine, like, for someone who just mm. came out of university, it's part of your job to be out and, um, and entertaining people. And, and um, yeah, so it was 
really great and a good learning experience. I definitely do feel like Jameson is a top whiskey brand for good reasons. Um, But I realized, again, self-awareness, like I just realized that this industry wasn't actually for me uh, for various reasons. And I'd look at people who were working in the company, who had been working there for decades or like, you know, for a long time. And they loved it. And I just didn't feel that way. And I wanted to find um, an area that spoke to me as much as this spoke to them, you know? Um, So that's why I ended up leaving and joining Facebook. So when I moved to Ireland, I didn't know much about the country um, besides what I'd seen in movies, (laughs) like P.S. I Love You and stuff like that. So I love that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember I... I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd like it now. You know how it is when you watch a movie back then and then you love it, you watch it now, and you're like, I don't know. I it's like not it the same. Yeah, exactly. I, I definitely loved it when I was in high school. Um, I remember yeah. Yeah, watching it at like nine in the morning at a cinema, in, I think at Brooklyn Mall. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I didn't know much about the country when I came here. I did kind of like scour blogs because I felt like blogs would be like a really good representation of what it would be like, but still I was unaware of, you know, like the fact that it is such a big tech hub. Okay. So I just want to know from you, I mean, I hear you, we, we now know how you ended up in, in, in Dublin, but what was the, what was the cultural move of, personal move like for you because it's mm. a very different place um to what you're used to i mean i feel like botswana and south africa are not so 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 different mm. um but now moving to a place like ireland that's very different so what how was that journey like the transition for you to move there yeah uh, that's a good question um well first of all i would like what helped the situation like me moving or what eased the transition was the fact that my best friend was actually already living in ireland so six months prior to me moving um, to Ireland, she had actually come here to work for Google. And it just was completely like coincidental in a sense or, uh, yeah, because neither of us had planned like, early, you know, to, to move there. But she ended up getting an opportunity and it just happened to be six months before I moved there. So I stayed with her and of course she introduced me to some of her friends and actually like my first flatmate who I lived with for six years uh, was a friend of my best friend. Um, mm-hmm. So that definitely eased the transition somewhat. But at the same time, it was a culture shock. You know, it could be things like the fact that you don't see many black people at all. Like that's always like a a big thing for Africans or for black people who are moving to Ireland is that you need to find the community. You know, it's not it's not immediately apparent where the black people are hiding, you know, (laughs) they're like mythical creatures when you come here. Um, And especially, you know, for someone who's working and you don't see people who look like you. Um, and particularly at, in senior levels, it can be difficult. Um, but yeah, so that was that was a, a big change. The other thing was, you know, just cultural nuances. So I would say in South Africa, for example, where I lived for 10 years, you know, it, the when you just understand the humor, you understand um, 
just like the social dynamics in Ireland. People here are very friendly. Um, you know, you get into a cab, cab drivers are very chatty. People here are just generally chatty, chatty. But I think that there's a lot more small talk here than in South Africa, for example. So I remember remarking in one of my first few months here, I was like, oh my gosh, I've never heard people speak about the weather so much in my life. <laughs> like every day. They actually speak about the weather. <laughs> oh my gosh. Every day is a discussion about the weather. And now I've just kind of acclimatized to it. Um, uh, but at the time, yeah, I just wasn't used to talking about what are you doing on your weekend? I, I think that's also partly like work you know, conversations with people that you barely mm. know. But yeah, there's there was a lot more small talk. I think in South Africa, like people don't do small talk nearly as much. It's like, if you have something to say, you say it. If you don't have something to say, you just look at the person and you say hi. And that's it. Um, but here, like people want to know, like, you know, what did you do for the weekend? What are you doing for the weekend? Oh, the weather's lovely. So initially I wasn't used to it, but now I am. And, you know, I definitely, I mean, it's been seven years since I moved here and I've definitely, it's grown on me and it's, I've settled in and I feel like it's definitely one of my homes. I would say Botswana is definitely home. And then South Africa, I still feel at home when I go there. And like, uh, when I come back to Ireland, say from visiting my family I feel like I'm back home um, um, but another interesting that I've like heard uh, is that uh, from, from a friend who had studied you know human uh, well not human resources but she worked in human resources uh, she had studied organizational psychology apparently for people who move to a new country like initially like say the first three months you're just like really, really excited. Uh, you're in a new place. Everything's new and, uh, you know, just fascinating. And then the fourth month, that's when it starts to hit you. And I think that's been the case for many people I know who've moved mm. over here is that initially it's all exciting and great. And then it dawns on you the hey, like, actually, I'm here now. I'm like, this is my permanent home, at least um, not permanent per se, but this is my this is long term. And that's mm. what happened to me. There was, I think it was month four or five when I just became very sad. I just wanted to go back home. I was feeling homesick. And uh, and particularly because of the weather, you know, ironically, the thing that we talk about so much, <laughs> it is the hardest thing to adjust to. It sounds like a trivial thing, but when you see overcast skies literally for a whole week and you haven't seen blue, it can you know, affect your mood. And I just wasn't used to, to the weather um, and, and the impact that it can have on your mentality. So yeah, that was a big adjustment. Mm. I mean, I, when, when, when it's cloudy here, I'm like, <laughs> I struggle to wake up. <laughs> I yeah. can't imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine like having to adjust to such dramatic, I mean, yeah, to that such a big change. Yeah. And it's not just like, today or tomorrow it's like like you're saying it's your life yeah it's your actual new life now yeah like true story like when it's 17 degrees here people are out shorts t-shirts 17 17 that's all it takes like and included. <laughs> you know i i have yeah. somewhat adjusted to what summer here means you know it's not like mm. what a heat wave here means it means early 20s <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh in the 40s so yeah yeah 
Okay. Wow. That's that's so interesting. Um. So yeah, tell us about your your move then from from Jameson to Facebook. One thing that I would say that has had a huge impact on me um, is that I've realized how important it is to be proximate to opportunities in order for you to believe that you can do something. And I say that because when I was living in South Africa, when I was a student in South Africa, for example, if you had said, you know, that I'd work in Facebook one day, I'd say you're lying, you know, because Mm. it just seems so far removed from my Mm. reality at the time. And that changed when I moved to Dublin because there were so many tech companies here and I got to know so many people in the tech space. Um, especially for expats, the expat bubble, most of the people that I know that move here for work, move here to work in tech companies. So even though Dublin is a small city, um, for various reasons, historical reasons, including tax tax reasons, Mm -hmm. a lot of tech companies have their Europe, um, Middle East and Africa headquarters here. So Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Twitter, LinkedIn, like the list goes on. There's a lot of tech oh. companies here. Yeah. Airbnb, I mean, Salesforce. It's a long, long list of tech companies. I definitely didn't know that. Yeah. Actually, I live in an area called Grand Canal and people call it, you know, the Google Docs or the Silicon Docs. It's, it's got a big tech uh, scene here. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that definitely started to influence me. You know, when I moved here, I, I realized that, hey, like I love this industry, even though I never dreamed of working in it. Ironically, it was like my dream industry. And even to this day, I definitely see myself growing my career generally in the space of tech. Um and, you know, initially maybe big tech and then maybe moving over to startups. Um, but like, yeah. I and that all started because even though at the time I didn't know anybody actually who worked in Facebook, um, which is super weird because there's so many. But like I, I mainly only knew Googlers, but I would like I remember sitting at um, a restaurant that's very close to the Facebook office for brunch, which is a thing here every every day people are brunching. <laughs> Um, and I was just looking at the Facebook office and I, the fact that I could see it and the fact that I you know, was so close to it, made me start thinking, hey, maybe I should, you know, apply to work at Facebook. Um, so that's what I did. Um, even though, like, I was enjoying my time at Jameson, like, I think for the first year, I realized, as I said, that it wasn't the industry that I necessarily wanted to grow my career in. And that's okay. It's just a difference, uh, you know, in in terms of, of um, not per se values but it just wasn't a match for me um and i had this hypothesis that i would really love working in tech because it's fast-paced it's innovative um it's like the culture is somewhat you know flat well egalitarian no what's the word it's not very hierarchical so being a young Mm. person in a tech company is not an issue you know it's not like you move from here and you have to step up and step up here you know what I mean like you can mm. right from the beginning and the impact that you can have is so broad because so many people are using these technologies you know I excited yes. me that there were like billions of people using Facebook's platforms so I you know would kind of look at the career site and it was actually my best friend who pointed out this 
role called market specialist for Africa um, in the global operations team. So um, that was a big um, turning point for me because, or a big moment for me in my career because it would mean pivoting out of marketing for a time. And ultimately, I felt like this would be a good step in the door for Facebook, mainly because it is generally a very data-driven company. And this role would like really allow me to, you know, build like my, my data and data analysis capabilities. So that's what, what ultimately, um, convinced me to make that transition into operations and I, yeah and the first day I got to Facebook I still remember it very vividly I was like this was the best move for me I just joined and immediately mm. felt at home you know that feeling that I've been looking for <laughs> it mm. sounds odd to try to look for that in your job but I am a big proponent of like um aligning yourself with companies whose values match yours and like I think that's definitely one of the reasons I've enjoyed my time at Facebook so much. Like when you look at the values, like be open, be bold, move fast, build social value and focus on impact. Like those are all ways of working that I ascribe to. And I may not always agree with what the company is doing, for example, like decisions that are made. But ultimately, I just felt like this company is so aligned with what I want right now and so aligned with how I want to um, grow. Yeah. I mean, you spend so much time at work. If you can, it is, I, I also believe it's very important to try and align um, yourself with the company because you literally spend so much time there. It's your life. Yeah. 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 And even like yeah. the mission of a company as well. So in this case, mm. I still remember, like, I, I, you know, I still remember the first time I saw Facebook, <laughs> you know, and I was always a big mm. user of like social platforms. I love social media, like the impact it can have, whether it be like just connecting people, like bear in mind that I've just moved to Facebook. How do I keep in, I moved to Ireland? How do I keep in contact with my family? It's through Facebook, yes. through WhatsApp. Um, and even just connections, even though they were, you know, um, what do they call them again? Weak ties, people who I barely talk to. When I do see those people again, people, for example, who I went to high school with, I can be like, oh, I saw you got married. Oh, I saw this happen. Mm -hmm. So you feel like you're kind of passively keeping up with people in your life who you care about, even if, you know, you might not necessarily talk to them all the time and also even in terms of social movements you know uh, things like the natural hair movement or even things like the black lives matter movement movements that are very close to my heart i feel like uh things that were not covered in you know mainstream media previously now you know the the power is in people's hands because mm. they can you know raise awareness and amplify issues that typically weren't getting noticed and yeah. yeah and educating people about even things like colorism for instance you know mm. these are conversations that previously weren't happening and people are starting to you know shift um in terms of their perceptions of things their perspectives because they're being educated by people who are just using social media platforms social so media. 
so the mission of the company and the the potential um, impact, positive impact, is what drew me. Um, mm. Yeah. So I also want to just comment on something that you said earlier about um, proximity to things, seeing things. Like you, you said you were having brunch, and you because you could see the actual building. That's when it dawned on you that you can be a part of that, um, and you can actually go for that. I think that's so important because, I mean, it comes back to even my own mission with She Brigade. Like, you need to be able to see yeah. things in order to realize that you can become something. You know, mm. if you, it, it's, it's. I think just we take it for granted um, that lack of visibility can really impact people. People are, we're, we're, I mean, we're human. We're very impressionable. We like what we see, we feel. So mm. it's just an, it's interesting that you brought that up. That wow, you saw the building and you're like, actually. Yeah, I could work there. Mm. Yeah, and that was also a strong motivation for me to co-found Black Ad Facebook Ireland, is that we wanted it to be, you know, seen by people outside that there are black people who work in this company. You know, tech is kind of notorious. Mm. Tech is notorious for not having a lot of representation of you know multiple races, and you know the 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 resource group allowed us to put together events where we'd invite people into the Facebook office, you know, and ah. for, for, for big events, like we actually partnered with the other organization that I co-founded called API. And we had like over 200 people in there. And that used to just like really make me so happy, you know, to be able to open up doors and just like, and that's what I also really appreciate about working at Facebook, you know, there's this, one of the sayings is um, nothing at Facebook is somebody else's problem. And although, of course, I do feel like diversity and inclusion is and should be a company priority, at the same time, if you have an idea and or you see that something is not being done currently, um, you get a lot of support when you, you know, like decide to do something about it. Mm. So in this case, I went to the head of office like initially and I was like, oh, I want to start this resource group and he gave us budget and, you know, that kind of support really goes a long way in making me want to stay at a company. Like, and the reverse of course would be, you know, like if people don't feel like they truly belong there or they can, they can't make the impact that they want to be able to make, that's usually what like, you know, results in people leaving. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Tell us a little bit more about um, some of these, um, the, these organizations that you founded. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say that it was a group effort. Um, so with AP and I, I actually, it was a friend of mine who lives in Dublin. She, um, got together a group of people who she felt like should, um, you know, start something. So we met up in a restaurant and we started like throwing, bouncing ideas, like with the, with the objective specifically of bringing together the African community in Ireland. So I joined initially as, um, the marketing director and then down the line, because I'd had experience from my uni days of getting sponsorship. Um, I also started working on the corporate partnership side. So bringing on sponsors like Facebook, you know, you got to start where it's easy, mm-hmm. <laughs> Google, Airbnb, et cetera. So yeah, that's, that 
or you know that that organization now is like run by a really great team and that's the best thing that can happen right is when you start something and it's having impact but maybe because your life is just at a different is just in a different season you have to you know move on to other things um and it's so great to see it continue and to you know go onwards and upwards which has been the case and you know basically what we did at the time um was organize I think it was a, an, a, an event per quarter. So I think the smallest event was our launch event, which was still like attended by over 110 people. And um, we'd have like just topics such as, um, you know, building your personal brand and coping with racism and racial microaggressions um, and uh, the power of networking. So we'd have like a theme for each event, but the, the real... Great, and the, the speakers were great, but the best part was probably people actually getting to meet people who are outside of their bubble. Because even when you work in tech, you're in a bubble. So I loved meeting mm-hmm. people who worked in law and who worked in finance, etc. Um, and that is really the reason I started to feel more at home was that I was meeting all these people who didn't feel like they were just in the expat bubble, but were just part of my life in Ireland outside of my job. Um, so yeah, I definitely attribute being part of that organization as a big part of why I feel at home here. And then with Black Hat Facebook, as I mentioned, it's an employee resource group. So we have quite a number of resource groups. And, um, so for example, Women at Facebook, Pride at Facebook. Um, and at the time though, we just had, um, a Black Black Hat in the U.S. So when we started in Ireland, it was the first time that they had a chapter outside of the U.S. Um, and, you know, the the interesting thing is when we were starting it, we had to think about, like, how are we going to make it relevant for this particular audience? Because in Ireland, even in contrast to London, so in London, they have a chapter, but a lot of, a lot of the people um, grew up in London. And then in, you know, when you contrast it to Ireland, a lot of the people move to Ireland for the job, you know, so they, yeah. it's a very, very diverse group of people. It's a lot of people from the African continent in particular, but I think it's like over 19 nationalities represented from Africa alone. So um, diversity and inclusion, it means different things to different people. You know, you're from South Africa, like the conversation of race is still very top of mind. Other people come from countries where they don't talk about that kind of thing. And maybe initially they don't even understand how it is a thing until they've been living um, away from where, like their country for a while. So we had to, you know, look at what how the, the distinct problems that people face and try to um, come up with solutions for all of them and more importantly build a community Um, that was the most important part was just like making sure that people who were black at Facebook felt like they belonged and that they had a a, you know group of people that they could chat to about any and everything Mm. wow Um, what 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 advice would you give to someone who is Maybe going through some stuff at work and because I feel like you are an a, a big entrepreneur, you know, like internally. Um, what would what advice would you give to someone who is in corporate and trying to start um, movements or mm. yeah, groups like this? 
Mm. Or just make change. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. Mm. And I think that it's very important to understand why you're doing it. I think being driven by a mission is very important. Um, So like a broader mission, one that impacts not just yourself, but like the community. So if you want to do it because you want to support other people um, and do something for other people, like that's very important to have right off the bat. But the second thing is you have to understand uh, you know, how it's going to be good for yourself, you know? Um, for me initially, it was just an ex- a way to express my creativity. I was working in operations. Um, and so it's not the most creative department and I was missing kind of expressing my creativity. So initially that's what it was. I now, you know, work in marketing. So there's plenty of scope to do creative things. So at that point it was more, you know, like the leadership um, angle to it. Um, And even just the way I approached it was different because I was more focused on the leadership side um, than I had been initially, even though I was always leading it, I wasn't thinking about like, how can I develop myself as a leader? So at every point you need to think about like, what are you doing uh, for yourself as well as for the community? Because it's not work that you get paid for, right? So it has to be worth it. It's not easy to have to do 100% of your core job and like do something on the side for free. (laughs) So it can't be free in the sense of like what you, like that you don't get anything out of it. You're just giving, giving, giving Um, because you do give a lot of yourself. You give a lot of your time, you give a lot of your energy and even your emotions. Like it's, it's impossible for it not to get emotional, especially when it's topics like, you know, race (laughs) and people come to you you know when they're experiencing stuff they come talk to you and so now like the role is becoming a bit of a drain on you and for me I particularly felt this you know post-covid where it's already like a lot of heavy stuff happening in the world and on top of this this role to some degree started to feel like a burden so it was very important to kind of think about like why am I doing it and ultimately you know it can like I'm. I now feel like I'm in a different season of my life, and um, mainly because you know I'm you know going to business school soon, <laughs> and so I actually have to think about life beyond Facebook. And I felt like it was the right time to actually step down and start thinking about like what do I want for my career? And you know, it's I have the title of marketing program lead now, but I think beyond a title, you can have things that are permanent, such as I think of myself as a, as a, well, you used the word entrepreneur earlier. I think that's another one I might add. It's not necessarily one that was on my list, but I do think that that's just who I am. So in, in future, I will still be a person who's like trying to build community and internally. So I'm a community builder, I'm a small business champion, and I'm an advocate of diversity and inclusion. Uh, I think that's something that's going to be, those are going to be themes throughout my career. Um, But like, I actually stepped down recently from Black Hat because I feel like now I'm in a different season and I need to think about what that's going to look like. Mm. And it goes back to, like you said it earlier with with your other organization, that it's it's nice to 
you, you, you like you can you can you know it's like real when you can step away from something and have it still yeah. you know continue and grow without you yeah exactly yeah, yeah exactly i think it's it's really important not to tie up your identity too much in mm. titles that you have and that's why i was saying that irrespective of this is my title now like in my current role and for a long time i was a co-founder well co-lead rather I think I always be co-founder but I was a co-lead of this organization and that organization and it did to some degree shape who I was but it wasn't who I was you know Mm. so yeah Mm. wow okay so tell us a bit about throughout this throughout your whole journey what have been your highlights and also what have been your lowlights my highlights and lowlights of my journey. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. This is a good question. Wow. <laughs> That's a big <laughs> pause. <laughs> a big pause. Hmm. I would say um, my highlights. And now I don't want to sound like I'm trying, like, you know, too philosophical or whatever but I think the highlights in general so first of all I'm a big fan of Oprah (laughs) I'm a big Mama O you know uh, I always love listening to her talks you know her commencement speeches etc and you know if you know Oprah like she loves to talk about things like in intentions and Mm. and also you know aligning yourself um with roles that allow you to express the highest truest expression of yourself as a human being which you know sounds like a lofty goal to some degree so I think like you know the highlights for me have been those moments where I have aligned myself very closely with what I value so being part of Black Ad that was definitely that's definitely been a highlight of my career uh, because I am very passionate about, you know, um, inclusion and equality. Um, Also joining a company where, as I said earlier, like the values are very closely aligned to my values and like the mission is something that I dig and I can buy into, even if I don't always necessarily agree with everything that goes on. Like, but I generally very broadly um, believe in what you know, the higher mission is. Mm. So those have definitely been um, highlights. And And the lowlights? In terms of lowlights, I think that it's always been difficult to be away from my family. Um, And especially Mm. when I think about like where I want to go in my career is, you know, begun to dawn on me that it's very likely that I will be living far away from home for, you know, at least the foreseeable future. Um, I don't um, particularly enjoy being away from family because, you know, as I said, I had a great childhood. I have a great relationship with my family and, you know, moments like losing people in your family when you're far away definitely Mm. like hit you harder because you're not with the people that you want to be with in those moments. So just as an example, I think over the past three years, three or four years, I've lost, you know, my great grandmother, 
my grandmother and my grandfather who were, you know, very important people to me. They were, I was very close to all of them um, and they shaped me. And, you know, I have so many great memories with them and, you know, getting a WhatsApp when you're in Ireland or getting a phone call and you just get this news, man, it's difficult. And each time, you know, I've flown back for a funeral because I just need that closure. I didn't go back for my great grandmother's uh, funeral, but then I regretted it because it didn't feel like she was gone. I keep forgetting <laughs> this mm. shit. So I went back for my grandfather and grandmother's funeral. And every single time I did that, um, I would think, man, what am I doing? Like living abroad. So those have been low lights for me. Yeah. I mean, that must be so difficult to to reconcile because it's like there's this great opportunities abroad and you're doing so much and the, like you're saying you can see where your future's headed in this place but it's also taking you away from something that's so important to you yeah definitely mm. i think about that even in terms of like you know my future children I want them to grow up in a place where they're surrounded by people who look like them, you know, mm. doing great things. They have a lot of role models and like and, and representation. And I want them to be surrounded by love. Like, we, you know, I want them to have great relationships with their great with their grandparents, with their cousins and their aunts, etc. And I I'm still thinking, obviously, because I am not at that bridge yet, but I'm thinking about like when I do get there, how am I going to make sure if I am still living abroad that they still feel very connected to, you know, their culture and yeah. to their family? Because I had that and I don't want to rob them of that experience. I don't know what it is to not have that growing up. And I can't, I can only imagine that, you know, I would be a different person and I wouldn't feel as grounded as I do now if I hadn't, you know, been surrounded by that. Yeah. Wow. Definitely something that <laughs> some of us might take for granted. Those of us who do have that easy access to um family yeah. and yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a good one. It's a good one. Mm. Okay. So Titi, we are at my favorite part of the podcast now. We've reached that point. Mm -hmm. Um where I like to ask my favorite question, mm -hmm. which I love because of my favorite quote, which says be who you needed when you were younger. That's my favorite quote. Mm. And I believe that even though we can't go back and change time, mm. um, we can always, there might be someone else out there who needs to hear exactly what you would have needed to hear when you were younger. So I want to ask you, if you could go back in time and talk to younger you, this could be at any age, it could be yesterday, it could be you in Botswana, in South Africa, whenever, any age. If you could go back and talk to younger Teti, what would you say to her? Hmm, that's a good question. I think what I would say to her is probably my favorite quote. Now you told me your favorite quote is... Um, yes, I love quotes. Be who, <laughs> who you needed to be. Like, be who you needed when you were younger. That's a good one. Yes. One thing I would tell my younger self is <laughs> you are you and that is your superpower. Um, mm. you know, there's no need to compare yourself to the person next to you. Are you doing enough? Are you enough? Um, that, that's, that's one aspect of it, but also, you know, not everybody is going to like you, but you still need to continue being yourself. You know, I think for me when I was younger and I still struggle with it to an extent, I, you know, I have a underlying like 
people approval addiction, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I, you know, when I don't see eye to eye with someone or like, I just can't seem to fit in with like, you know, get along with someone. I often think the issue is me. That's like my default. And I think it was definitely more of an issue when I was like younger. Um, and now over time, I've learned to care less about people who like just choose to misunderstand me or choose to judge me and not take it too much to heart. So that's what I would say, because I think it definitely used to trip me up a lot more when I was uh, younger, like in high school and in university. So that's what I would say, like, just be yourself. And, you know, if, if people don't like that, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. no need to apologize for, for being who you are. Yes. I love, I love, love, love that one. Yeah. I wanted, there's something that, that a previous guest said that always sticks with me. And I think about it literally almost every day. She, she said, well, I'm paraphrasing it now, but she basically said your authenticity is your superpower. And I love that. Yeah. I feel like it ties into one. what you're saying. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when I was saying that, I just, I was actually just remembering um, a situation that happened recently. A friend of mine was telling me, that there was someone who basically was insinuating that uh, the reason I, you know, I have like I got certain opportunities was because I'm black, and I've heard that so many mm-hmm. times from the time mm-hmm. I was in high school, and like, and it was so false. But you know, as a black person, you would understand this. Like, people mm-hmm. are just so quick to j- say this person is in that position because they are black, when the yeah. actual reality is. A lot of the time people are in positions in spite of the fact that they are black because we know that there's, you know, structural racism. And if you get to where you are, it means you have worked that much harder. You've had to, like, be strategic. You've had Mm. to hustle your way to where you are. And I was thinking about this so much last weekend because that's when I was told this thing. Um, And I was reflecting about, like, from the time I was in high school and I got into UCT and a friend of mine um said to me oh no offense but it's because you're black and I was just like first of all like we know that's false because I've been doing very very well academically and so like you have the evidence (laughs) you've put in the work you have you have the evidence it's like girl check my credentials but also (laughs) it's like I'm from Botswana so it does doesn't even matter like it doesn't even count like you know um, but you just see that it was just because I was black, you know, irrespective of like mm. whether like they, that was just going always going to be the response, you know. And I think that because I've seen it as a pattern, the, the way I responded last weekend was very different to how I would have responded before, which was, mm. you know, shock, hurt, feeling like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe this person just said that. But now I'm like, just gotten to the point where I think I'm going to, like, I've, I've come to the, to the realization that if I'm going to continue to progress in my career, there will always be people who will say that I achieved X, Y, Z because I'm a black woman and that's fine. Mm-hmm. They can continue saying that till kingdom come. I will just continue like shining. And that's like, that's just the mindset that I had last weekend. And I realized that there'd been a shift. So I guess if I could go back to my younger self, I'd also just say, that people are going to judge you based on your race, based on your gender, based on your age, um, and multiple other factors, like such as your personality. And that's fine. Like, just keep on keeping on. 
Yeah. To quote um, the Queen Beyonce, she says, always stay gracious. Best revenge is your paper. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, love I love Beyonce. Yes. Yeah. I, I love her too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's, oh my, you know, I'm, you're the first person to mention this um, on this podcast, I think, from what I can remember. Mm. And I'm so glad you did because it's so true. And I've seen it as well where people just assume that certain people get certain things because of affirmation. What is it? Um, um, Affirmative action. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Affirmative action and not necessarily because of the fact that you do actually deserve the the role. And Mm. that is such an interesting struggle that we don't talk about enough, I think. like Mm. Even people who don't know you. Like yeah, that's the that's even the, the weirder part, right? Like you don't even know the person, but you're assuming. Yeah. So just to give mm-hmm. you an example, like when I was because I was part of APNI and we were trying to create like, you know, uh, awareness of the organization. So I ended like ended up being featured in the Irish Times, um, just talking about like my mm-hmm. journey to Ireland from South Africa. Um, and then they posted the article and there was a lot of positive response, but like I had said something like, you know, when I came to Ireland, I was shocked, you know, that they were, they were just like so few people who looked like me. And there were all these comments saying, oh, you know, she's from South Africa and like, you know, there's BEE there and so unfair that she got her job at Facebook just because she's black. And it's like, you guys oh don't even God. know me at all. And like, you're like, you're judging me. And it's like ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, I don't know. It's uh, racism is a disease. <laughs> Get well soon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and for sharing your journey, how can our 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 audience get in touch with you? Oh, and tell us a little bit about your podcast, how they can find you there as well, and just follow your journey. Yeah, so um, they can reach me the same way you reach me, which is on Instagram. DM. <laughs> yes, DM me. Uh, my handle is my first name, um, at the Tlanyo. Um, and then, yeah, you can also listen to my newly launched podcast called Career Queens Podcast, um, also linked to my profile on Instagram. Um, and that there you can just basically hear about, you know, basically moves that uh, millennial women have made. So women in their 20s and 30s, moves that they have made to kind of get ahead in their career. So negotiating their salary, moving to another country, um, career pivots, um, career boomerangs, which is when you go to another company and then return to your former employer. So yeah, just different tactical moves and and strategic moves that they've made. Um, Yeah, so that's how people can reach me. Ah, Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to She Brigade. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend you think will enjoy it too. You can also share it on your social media and tag us at She Brigade. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes. We'd also love to hear your feedback, so feel free to email your questions or your suggestions to info at shebrigade.com or DM us on Instagram or Twitter at shebrigade. Until next time, bye.